Hello and welcome to State of Crime. One state, one murderer, a whole lot of crime, a whole lot of conspiracies, because we're going back to the state of Georgia with Kaylin and Elena. Hi. Hi. All right, so I think we should just jump right into it. I think so too. So last, or on Monday, we talked about all of the victims, all of the children victims, and all of the adult victims. Now, I don't know if I said this, but I do want to specify to people who may not know a whole lot about mm -hmm. it. Every single victim, every single one was black. Right. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, every single one of them came from some sort of poverty. Right. As far as I know, yeah, I think they all were from, you know, poorer neighborhoods in Atlanta. They all, as far as I know, came from African-American neighborhoods in Atlanta as well. You know, these weren't from... They weren't from neighborhoods where you had a lot of, what do I want to say, that were fully integrated. You know, there was still very definitely African-American neighborhoods and white neighborhoods. Right. And not, and, and these all came from very specific parts of the city. Now, and I also want to say that while they did, they did all come from some sort of poverty, most of the areas where these people lived were not and I'm using this in air quotes, they were not from, like, the ghetto. Right, and it which was just is such a, a racist term. But Right, that's why yeah. I wanted to specify that it <laughs> yeah. was in the, the... These weren't necessarily super high, what we would call you know, high crime areas, and that's why you have parents sending their kids out to run right. errands, and it's not until children are disappearing <laughs> that that stops. I did want to point out and just talk about that... You know, because we're going to talk a little bit how these cases have been reopened. There are attempts to make sure that all of those cases that were sealed with Wayne Williams' conviction, that they all truly were um, his crimes. Right. But they, investigators are also reviewing a 15-year window from 1970 to 1985, so even after Wayne Williams was um, put into prison. During that 15-year window, 157 children were murdered in Atlanta, including wow. the previous known victims in this case. And the other thing that I think we need to make sure we also keep in mind is we are talking about a list of 24 children that we covered in our last episode, but we also have these six adults out there, which is another very strange anomaly and another strange part of this case that a lot of people are also talking about, with good cause, I believe, right. about, you know, how do we know then that this is just one perpetrator and so on. So. so with the adults, I would like to say, so Wayne Williams was small. He was a small man. I believe he was said to be five, 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 six. Something. I'll look that up. And even with his adult victims, because we would look at this more with the adults than we would with the children, even his adult victims were small. We're all small in stature. Mm -hmm. So if we did want to say that he did commit all of these murders, it still is possible so because he would have been able to he did choose smaller victims so that he would be he's able to five him. seven so yeah. he's an inch shorter than i am yeah yeah so that is also while i do not believe that he committed every single one of these murders mm -hmm. at least with the adults at, at first when i first was like oh no he didn't do it he was small 
And then you think about it and the adults, I believe his final victim ended up, I think he was only like five, one of his adult victims was only like five, three. Yeah. He was a very small man. Right. Even though he was an adult. It, correct. Yeah. So I think we can probably talk about more of the investigation now. Yes. Um, now that we've talked about all the victims, their causes of death and stuff like that. Right. So this was also, I believe, again, correct me if I'm wrong, at this point, Atlanta had their very first black mayor, correct? Um, I do not know that for a fact. I believe that their mayor at this time was their first black okay. mayor. Um, this was a... This was, and I mean, race is still a huge thing now. Yes. But this, at this point, race was still a huge thing then. And so they brought in over a hundred officers to form this task force. Now included in, along with like the FBI, the FBI is included in that 100 um, number. But along with them, there was a group that they pulled in that they called the super cops. Right. Now, these are all investigators um, from all around the country mm -hmm. that worked on very high-profile cases. Mm -hmm. Do you, by chance, have the list of names of them? I do not, but I do just want to point out that what you had here was, this was interesting, so... In July 17th, 1980, after nine children have died, mm -hmm. this is where things really do start to pick up. And so just as a quick overview, at that time, there were five Atlanta police investigators who were assigned to a special task force. That task force would grow to over 50 people. Okay. And then eventually that same task force yes. would grow up to over yes. 100 people. And then in November 6th, 1980, Attorney General William French Smith ordered the FBI to join the case. Now, that to me seems like a shockingly long time before the, you know, nowadays I feel like the FBI would have been on this much more quickly. Um, and then it's November 11th, 1980, when Atlanta Public Safety Commissioner Lee Brown announced that five of the nation's top homicide detectives will be brought in as consultants. I, I think that's... Yes, those are our super yes. cops. And then, this gets even more up there, on January 30th, 1981, President Reagan, of whom I am no fan, dispatched two Justice Department officials to join the city to offer assistance. So this went all, I mean, it, up it as went high. far as it could go. And so I think we can definitely say... They were slow in the beginning, mm -hmm. but again, I'm going to give them a little bit of leeway just again, given that these murders start at least the ones that we count mm -hmm. as part of this case in 1979 and still in 1979, people were slow to connect murders. I also think that another reason that it may have been so slow is because like I said on our last episode, they did happen over a number of different um, yeah, counties. Yeah, they were spread out. So there were different jurisdictions. So yes. it took them a while to connect them because of the right. fact that yes. there were different... And again, uh, you don't have the computer databases right. that we now have. There was still much more territoriality when it came to departments and, you know, who would cover crimes. And again, and that, but I also don't want to... Uh, what do I want to say? Maybe 
not make sure that we're also very aware that the deaths of black children are not covered with the same veracity as the deaths of white children. And I do believe that even in 1979, had you had nine children, nine white children murdered in Atlanta, this case would have been handled very differently from the get-go. I agree. And that was actually, I did have a reason for bringing up that the mayor at this time was black. Mm -hmm. There was a reason for that. We just haven't gotten there yet. Um, I didn't want to just make it seem like I was just throwing out this random (laughs) fact for no reason. But, um, so of, I didn't get names. I tried and it just, I ran out of time. Um, so of these five detectives that they brought in, they brought in detectives that were, um, from high profile cases. So we had the lead detective that, uh, did the investigation of the son of Sam. Right. Who was David Berkowitz. He did. He was also known as the 45 caliber shooter, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he did. He killed couples in their cars in New York. We had the lead detective who covered uh, Ted Bundy, mm-hmm. who will then later to go. He later covered the Green River Killer. We had. Oh, who else was there? There was a handful of right. others. Right. And of course, they did bring in Jack Douglas. Yes. Who is often kind of credited the the main character in the Mindhunter series yes. is based on him. Yes. And he is often kind of, you know, credited with being the person who first identifies serial killers. Although, of course, it's a team effort. Right. And there are a lot of people who, who went into this. But he very quickly became, I think, the public face of that in right. many ways. And now we're, while we're talking about John Douglas, um, this was why I brought up about the black mayor. So when they first... Because John Douglas, he started... He was... He ends up being famous for being the one for the profiling. Right. Of how they are able to profile these killers to help be able to catch them quicker. Mm-hmm. Now, while he was working on this and he was doing the profile, he was actually the first person to out loud vocalize that in his profile, this is a black. Yes. This murderer is black. Their suspect is a black male or female because at the time they weren't sure. Right. But because he had kind of done some own thing, some things on his own, some testing and stuff. And it was, he very quickly realized that a white person in these neighborhoods would have stood would out. Would have stood out in a lot of that. But with he, he was the first one to be like this dude, the person who was doing this is black. Yeah. Well, and there were a couple, I mean, first of all, we know that serial killers tend to prey on people of their own race. Correct. And again, mostly because serial killers go for victims of opportunity. Correct. So it's just people that you happen to be hanging around with. And like you said, and then the other version, the other reason was a white person would have been noticed in many of these neighborhoods. Correct. Somebody would have seen them talking to these children. It would have stood out more. Now, this theory that their perpetrator was black was originally not taken very well. Um, The mayor didn't like it. The people didn't like it. Uh, Most of the cops, most of the hometown cops didn't like it. They were like, no, nobody there in their mind. They were like, no black man would do this to their own children. And also at the time. There haven't been very many, if any, well-known black serial killers. Right. And that is also something to bring up. You know, first of all, you know, the whole idea of serial killers was fairly new. 
most of the famous cases, like the ones you mentioned, you know, Ted Bundy, um, Son of Sam, were white. And so that idea, and of course, it's Atlanta, it's Georgia, you are still dealing with very racist times. The KKK, there was a large KKK enclave, very active in the area. Um, And so that was one of the popular theories. I will tell you why I'm not convinced about the KKK theory. So I have, I don't know if the KKK theory is really where I'm going, but more of a suspect that they interviewed that was a member of the KKK. Well, I'm saying though, because the KKK theory is out there, I want to debunk it from my own viewpoint. The reason I'm not convinced is this. Okay, tell me. The KKK is a terrorist organization. Correct. They have a political agenda. When they murder, they murder for a purpose. They want to inspire terror and fear in the black community. This is why lynching was such a popular form of murder for the KKK. It was public. It was out there. It was done in front of other people. And it was a way of saying, stay in your place, in quotation marks, or we will murder you. Right. None of these murders fit that profile. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? Do. do. you see where I'm going with that? So I'm not saying that there's not some of these murders that may well have been perpetrated by a racist who hated black children or black people and was targeting them for a racist purpose, but it wasn't an organized KKK murder. I will agree with you there. Now we do have one of our victims who I believe was not killed by Wayne Williams, but he was killed by another man who was a member of the KKK. Now, I do not believe that it was a a whole KKK group. group, but I do think that he was killed by a member of the KKK. And we will get into that more because you... When we talked about what who was going to do what in this, you said you were one of your things was the theories. Yes, who, and and I know I kind of jumped the gun no, there, done. but fine. like I said, since you brought that up, you know, it's just that when they murder, they want people to know we did this, right? And we did this for this reason. Right. There was always the ridiculous, you know. I mean, you think of Emmett Till, which is one of those cases that. I have never gotten over that one. It's just so heartbreaking. You know, he dared to quote unquote whistle or look at a white woman. So he was murdered for that. Right. It was all, they always gave a reason and they made sure that people knew knew it was them. Right. So when we go more into the theories of them, that's when I will talk more about who I thought, who I think killed this one individual victim. Um, So we'll get into that a little more. So during their investigation, One of the things that they ended up doing, so I guess I also didn't talk about this. After a while of finding bodies, they were almost all found in wooded areas. Right. But after a while, it, things started to change and victims started being left in water. Yes. And one of the- Well, there were several that were found in quote unquote the woods, Mm -hmm. you know, but again, they weren't necessarily hidden. Hidden. They were some distance, but again, they 
this is so gross to say, but you know, it seems like it'd be a typical body dump where you're getting rid of a body. You want to be far enough away. You're not seen, but there's no particular care taken to hide these bodies per right. se. We have some bodies that are found like poor use of bell in an abandoned school, kind of under a floorboard. But again, he's not necessarily hidden. He's stashed. Right. And I think there's a difference. And then we have bodies that are found in alleys and things like that as well. So there's a different modes. The ones that have the strongest connection and thoughts that they're probably connected to Wayne Williams are the ones that are usually found in the woods or like the water or Yusuf Bell in a building. You know, there's some attempt to kind of stash it from, from plain sight, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily to really go out of the way to hide it. Right. And so with some of these victims in the later year of the killings with them starting to be dumped mostly in rivers and stuff like that in water because they did start getting some evidence off of these bodies. Right. And I think that that is probably one of the main reasons that they started being dumped in water. So the first piece of evidence was found, I can't remember our victim's name, but the one that was found in the alley. Okay. There was a red fiber stuck Mm -hmm. on his shoe. Right. And one of the detectives took a picture of it, and he also took the fiber and treated it as evidence. Other detectives on the scene mocked him for this. They were teasing him, like, that. why does that matter? And like I said, this was, I actually was watching shortly before we started recording today an interview with him. He, he, he is a black detective from the Atlanta police force, and he was even talking about how people were giving him a hard time about it, that he felt like it would be significant. And as we know... This case ended up hinging on carpet fibers. And so, but I think most of us are aware of the green carpet fibers. But this red one was also, Mm -hmm. and that's the other thing. And one of the things that had stuck with me about this case was a green carpet fiber that was tied to Wayne Williams. And in my head, it was just one little fiber. In reality, there were multiple fibers and dog hairs and other pieces of evidence of that ilk right. that tied various these various murders to Wayne Williams now, and are very strong pieces of evidence. Yes. So the green fiber ended up being connected to carpet in his home. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did say that while the technology at that time wasn't good enough to be like, this is an exact match for this carpet, right. they were able to be like, it, it matches the carpet, right. but this carpet was so, it wasn't very widely produced. No, it was very unusual. Right. And almost like a turf right. type. And the change in the um, disposal of the bodies happened after the medical examiner gave an interview and just told the pl- the press, which this would not happen today right. again. Um, yeah, we have all these fibers. You know, this is what we're looking at. This is our evidence. And they do believe that that's when they started dumping the bodies in the water was to wash away any of that sort of evidence. Right. So now because there were bodies being dumped in water, the investigation goes to nearby rivers yes now there were and staking out bridges correct now they wanted five i believe it was five men per river or per yeah per Stake river. out area yes so they were staking out at one point um they were staking out both ends of 
the like Chattahoochee River they were looking at and they had investigators on either end of the bridges and then they also had some kind of down further so that if they ever heard a splash that it could be notified and this went on for so long and for so long they just had absolutely nothing until one night we have a a copper investigator that was part of this big team he tells them i heard a splash mm -hmm. and when they hear the splash they then see a vehicle that had gone onto the bridge who then eventually had flipped around and gone back off the bridge the same way he came. Now this was strange. And honestly, it sounds pretty damning to me. Mm -hmm. You drive on a bridge, somebody <laughs> hears a splash. Instead of driving off the bridge the other direction, you then turn around on the bridge and drive back the way you came. Mm -hmm. It sounds damning. But they didn't find anything in the water. And when they end up stopping this guy... This is Wayne Williams. He is driving a white van. Station wagon. Station wagon. Thank you. And they stop him. They ask him where he's going. He said he had an audition. Now, Wayne Williams worked as a talent scout, I guess you could call him. Self-appointed kind of talent scout. Yes. Now, Wayne Williams lived with his elderly parents. He was a very late-in-life child. His parents were actually old enough to be his grandparents, they were fairly well-to-do. He had gone to school and studied communications. He was obsessed with radios. And in fact, he was often hanging around two of the local radio stations in Atlanta and always talking about that he was going to be a music promoter. He was going to find the next Jackson 5 and mm -hmm. um, would ha you know hand out flyers, post all kinds of things to get young men to come and audition for him. Right. So they stop him and like, where are you going? And he ends up saying that he has an audition, but he doesn't have an exact address for the audition, but he has the phone number of the mm -hmm. woman that he's supposed to be auditioning. Mind you, it is two, three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so like one, I'm pretty sure your audition's not right now. Um, he, which he did say that he was just trying to like scope out the area before he had to drive there in the morning. Sketchy. Mm -hmm. So first of all, he can't, the name he gives them doesn't come back to anybody. The phone number he gives them doesn't have anybody by the name that they used. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the phone number he gave them, he said that the last number he was like, it looks like a nine, but it might be a four. Um, but he wasn't really sure if it was a nine or a four. Neither numbers ended up working out for him. And they just, there was, they had nobody to corroborate his, his alibi. story. Right. Exactly. And now while they do this stop, they said that they saw a two foot long nylon rope in his back seat right along with gloves mm -hmm. but for some reason that wasn't enough to take him in for questioning well he gave them he gave them the okay to search his car i know and they didn't take the gloves or the rope yeah this <laughs> it was crazy the two things that could have gotten him immediately convicted but here's another one of those things when you look at Wayne Williams, and especially pictures of Wayne Williams at the time, he doesn't look like a murderer. 
Do you know what I mean? He was yeah. kind of soft and pudgy. Like we said, he's not very tall. I just, I, and, and I hate to say that, but we talk a lot about um, the the subtle assumptions that we all have when right. it comes to race. Right. And that that has a huge, profound impact on law, the way law enforcement is carried out in this country. Mm-hmm. It also applies in this kind of a situation as well, where you look at somebody like that, and I'm assuming especially in, you know, 1981 when this was happening, and you just think, you know, that guy just does not look like a murderer. Right. So he was in a Chevy uh, a Chevy station wagon. Um, it belonged to his parents. They did pull out fibers and dog hair out of the vehicle that later were used as evidence against him. Uh, some of the fibers were, uh, similar to the fibers found on some of the victims. Uh, they said that they matched his dog hair to his dog that he has. Now I do have a problem with this because there are other sources that say when they tested the dog hair, they originally called it Husky. Okay. It was dog hair. It was the dog hair of a Husky breed. And then later on. Because Wayne Williams didn't have a husky. He had a German Shepherd. And so they originally called it husky, a husky dog hair. And then they kind of like backtracked. Although, like, well, it could have been anything. Maybe a German you, Shepherd. If you look at husky and German Shepherd hair, they are actually fairly similar, especially in appearance and coloration. And that dog is very important because Wayne Williams had also been arrested in the past for impersonating a police officer. Right. And of course, German Shepherds are the police preferred, dogs. you know, police dogs. So, yeah. So he had said that he was going to see a singer, didn't work. They didn't have any record of her. And two days later is when the body of Nathaniel Cater was found floating downriver um, a few miles from the bridge where the police had stopped him. And heard the splash. Correct. Now, I also have some... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Doubts? Uh, they, there thoughts? was some back and forth, okay. I guess. Um, there were conf- some conflicting stories is what I'm, what I was trying to say on whether or not they searched the water that night. Okay. Some say they did and didn't find anything. Some say they didn't even bother. They just like glanced over the top of it. And you know, here's my, again, my thought about that. Maybe he weighted the body down. And so when he first threw it, it kind of sunk and then he just didn't do a very good job with weighting it down. And so it pops back up and that's when they find it, the two days. You know, there's a lot of things that could have happened here that we don't know. I also think that I would hope that they did search the water that night because that probably should have been their first. I... I would be shocked to find that they didn't. But then again, I'm also shocked that they looked in his backseat and they saw things that could obviously be used as ligatures and gloves. And yeah, and given the height of the panic by this time. Right. Well, on June 21st, 1981, Wayne, Wayne Williams is arrested. At long last. Right. Um, a grand jury indicted him for first-degree murder in the deaths of Nathaniel Cater and Jimmy Ray Payne. Um, they were both adult victims, and the trial date was set for early 1982. Now, granted, when he was first questioned before he was actually arrested, he ended up doing a press conference for himself, trying to tell them, like, I didn't do it. But they also told him, he also told, like, the media that was he was doing this press conference with that they couldn't film his face. 
He wasn't. It was oh, weird. Yeah. Well, he's a weird dude. Weird I don't dude. know if you've ever watched any interviews with him or anything, but he is creepy and he's a freak. Well, another thing to point out is he, this motherfucker was cocky. Yeah. And that definitely some arrogance. Yes. So he was so cocky, in fact, that he took three polygraph tests, three, and he failed every single <laughs> one of them. And then went on to tell the press in his press conference that he failed three polygraphs, but he still didn't do it. Wow. Like, you're dumb. First of all, if you fail, th stop stop going back. If you fail one, you fail one. <laughs> if you fail two, then maybe you should just stop. Also, word of advice, don't ever take a polygraph test. They're not admissible in court. Right. Don't fucking do it. It's not worth the time. <laughs> don't do a polygraph. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, yeah, they're not admissible in court. Again, though, they are one of those things that if you refuse to take it, you look guilty. guilty. And if you take it and, you know, because it does a measure emotional responses and that an emotional response can make it look like you're lying even if you're not and right. if you're very nervous or anything like that. I'm an anxiety ridden person. I could I, never take a polygraph I, test. I, I, I would I, fail. I think I would I think I would fail if they asked me my name. Right. And my age. Right. But um <laughs> anyway, with Wayne Williams as well, part of that cockiness, I mean, he, he was an only child. His parents were both teachers, by the mm -hmm. way. I feel like I should say that. And you know, I would like to know a lot more about his his interactions with his parents. Okay. Because, you know, I mean, like I said, they're both parents. Or they're both parents. They're uh. both teachers. <laughs> <clears throat> and, you know, so they had a fairly comfortable life. He's still living with them in his early 20s. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it, he, they eventually went bankrupt supporting him. He bankrupted them. Um, and, but there's, like I said, there's some oddities there that I have a lot of questions about and I wasn't able to delve into them as deeply as I wish I could have. Right. So a couple of things that concern me with the whole Wayne Williams thought is one, the green fibers that they found that they ended up using as evidence against him to convict him is kind of confusing to me because he did live with his parents. So how is he bringing these people to his house? Without his parents noticing. Okay, we're going to talk about that, okay? Because okay. I came across some very interesting evidence about that. Okay. And also remember that you carry fibers with you. So even so, right now, if you know you murdered, if you murdered hair. me, um, you know they would find fibers from your dog and your house in my house. Right. Okay. That's true. Okay. So keep that in mind that's true. when I'll tell you a little bit about what I found out when you're done talking. Right. So another strange thing is that Wayne Williams' father said that after he got stopped by the police and they didn't arrest him, they had to let him go because they didn't have anything to arrest him with, even though they should have taken the things out of the back, the back of his car. Anyway, um, that night, his father saw him in the backyard burning things. Well, and there are also reports his father may have been helping him burn things. Which may, have, may be why some people say that they, see, they saw two mm -hmm. black men. Because Well, that was just in the backyard at the thing. So back to your fiber yes. comment and the two black men. Yes. After Wayne Williams was arrested, people went into the neighborhoods, showed his picture, because again, he was well known in many of these neighborhoods because he had spent a lot of time there recruiting young boys for this music business, right? right. That he was supposedly doing. Multiple people reported 
that he rented an apartment in a particular neighborhood. They all identified the same place and that he had a male roommate. Huh. Now, I don't know how much more evidence investigation of that was done, but there were multiple witnesses that when shown pictures of him, like I said, identified, oh yeah, he, he has an apartment over here and he has a male roommate. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, let's put a pin in that too for later, hmm. all right? All right, so let's see if we covered everything today or yes. on this episode that we wanted to cover. So we covered a little bit of the investigation about as much of the evidence so far as we've gotten um, without going into other theories. Right. Just surrounding Just a Wayne little Williams. hint here and there. And then, of course, my debunking of why, like I said, I'm not saying that there weren't some racist motivations, whatever, but I do not believe this was this organized KKK thing Correct. that some people wanted it to be. Although I'm more than ready to, you know, say horrible things about the KKK at any moment. But right. again, they like to claim ownership of the horrors that they are. Right. So we talked a little bit about the investigation. We talked about the investigators. We talked about John Douglas. We talked about the evidence that came from Wayne Williams and the weird things that have surrounded Wayne Williams. <laughs> Including um, Wayne Williams himself. Correct. And so we will then eventually get into the theories. Yes. And talk a little bit about the Mind Hunter episode that has really... The whole season. It's basically the whole second season. Yes. Yes. And John Douglas has also spoken out some more about this case since the Mind Hunter episode has aired and since um, it, the case has been reopened. I would also like to say that the in Mind Hunter... Well, we'll talk about the Mind Hunter whole Okay. Yeah. Mind we'll we'll say that for next time. So... so if you haven't already, go ahead and like our and join, like our Facebook page, join our discussion group. If you have any suggestions, you can message us, email us at stateofcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram and our Twitter. If yes. you're listening on an Apple product, make sure you go in and rate and review us. Yes. You can now apparently leave reviews on Stitcher. Which Still is don't know awesome, how to awesome. do that, so good luck. <laughs> um, and this is part two. So on Monday next week, we will get into part three of this. So I'm sorry you're gonna have to wait a few days, but good <laughs> but, luck, I guess. Yeah, shoot us any you know of your theories and ideas on right. this case. We love to hear them. See you next time. <laughs>